Welcome to Epidemiology Now. My name is Eun Young Lee. Epidemiology Now is a podcast prepared for students in Health 323 Introduction to Epidemiology at Queen's University. Okay, hello everyone. Today we have Dr. Maxine Mir. She's a uh, recent doctoral graduate at the, uh, from the University of Alberta in health promotion. And currently, Dr. Mir is a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Calgary in the Faculty of Education. So welcome, Dr. Maxine Meyer, Mir, sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Young. Nice to be Hi. Here. Yeah, thank you for coming in to talk to us. So do you want to introduce yourself um, to our students? <laughs> sure, I think, yeah, you kind of covered my current position. So I'm a postdoc in the School of Education at the University of Calgary, um, currently still located in, in Edmonton. Um, maybe from a more uh, personal side, just um, generally uh, an active person. I love getting outside. I love uh, plants, <laughs> if that's not obvious. Um, <laughs> yeah, and Young and I know each other from back when she was also doing her PhD at the University of Alberta. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, yeah, I can definitely see plants. It's really beautiful. <laughs> yeah, so um, you just finished your PhD and in the folio document, so article, um, it says that you started your journey as a researcher by investigating the inflammatory response to fat cells. So it sounds like you started as a, you know, cell biologist. So I want to know how you got to where you are right now. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, maybe my journey really shows that where you start doesn't necessarily um, dictate where you end up. So my undergrad was in biology. And even before I did the, my work with fat cells, I had a research experience in organic chemistry and in environmental microbiology. <laughs> mm. um, so that uh, was kind of the beginning of my training was more within science. And then as I, yeah, my master's was looking at inflammatory responses of fat cells and um, during that time, I got involved with Obesity Canada as an organization. And so the, the cell bio part is just such a small area of obesity research as a whole. And so mm -hmm. I started to get exposed to just different topics. And I mean, as a person who loves learning, that was really co uh, cool for me to see. And um, yeah, that's kind of when I started learning more about weight stigma and how, um, you know, it kind of expanded my ideas of um, different factors that are involved within um, weight management, uh, just what determines somebody's weight. And um, yeah, like I mentioned before, because I'm a fairly active person, I often, um, you know, you hear messages from, or, you know, comments from people making comments about their weight all the time within the exercise and physical activity context. And so that sort of started rubbing me the wrong way a little bit. And it's like, you know, why are we making these comments? Or like, what do they mean? And what do they um, show about our underlying um, assumptions about that relationship between exercise and weight and that sort of thing? So that kind of led me, yeah, to my, to my, um, PhD research. Um, and in that I examined the relationship between weight stigma and physical activity. 
Mm -hmm. And I guess that kind of negative messaging with uh, related to body weight is usually uh, directed to women uh, more than men, right? So I guess we are, your doctoral research was really timely, but also targeting the, the right population. Um, that's the, the um, I guess, the center of the, the topic. So um, I read your article and it was, I felt really good when it said, I get annoyed <laughs> by this type of comments. And I'm like, oh, that's exactly how I feel. I get so annoyed when people um, just say things so easily and so lightly about other people, how other people look in term and it could be their body weight or it could be their, you know, their skin color or it could be their gender, um, et cetera. So, you know, when I read that sentence, I'm like, yes, me too. So um, I guess you really have, um, you know, strong feeling towards, um, you know, you towards um, further stigmatizing body weight, um, and obviously, you know, you're you are you're a, an active person, and you are looking fit, right? So um, how did you so? How did you end up um, in that thinking? Like, do you know why you got so annoyed by by those comments that people make? Um, yeah, part of it is that um, there's this assumption that if you're in a larger body, then you're not either not active and you mm -hmm. should be, and that you should be to lose weight. So kind of like mm -hmm. builds on that. Mm -hmm. um, Whereas that's actually not true. There's a lot of people in different body sizes that can be uh, physically active, who enjoy it, who mm -hmm. get lots of different benefits from it that are not necessarily weight loss. Mm -hmm. um, and as I read more and did more research, it really demonstrated that the more focus on weight that there is within like physical activity, the less people tend to um, enjoy it and stick with it long term because mm. it's actually very difficult like the research is showing more and more that it's difficult to um, lose weight simply by exercising mm -hmm. um, not really how our bodies work but if that's the main outcome that you're looking for mm -hmm. you're setting yourself up like people are setting themselves up for being disappointed and feeling mm -hmm. like it contributes to their feelings of failure because they're for some reason feeling like they can't achieve this kind of unrealistic goal anyway right yeah um, yeah and then I think again like sometimes I'd get like thin friends making comments like oh I'm so fat or things mm -hmm. related to that and I think like not to say that they were in intentionally wanting to um harm anybody by those comments but I think like they really could mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah uh, harm somebody if depending if they're in a different size body having a different body mm -hmm. shape or something like that yeah yeah I think that's a really good point and you know something you said actually is really interesting so you know, so far, I guess in public health, like physical activity promotion messaging was usually around weight control and weight maintenance. Like if you engage in this much activity every day, then you lose this much weight. But that's not really like that doesn't oftentimes doesn't get reflected in reality. Like 
even though I do exercise, I may not lose weight because I eat and I could be under this tremendous amount of stress. So maybe I'll gain weight or, or something. So I guess that totally makes sense to me. Um, and I'm sure it's, it makes a lot of sense to, to lots of people. Um, and, you know, your research is basically an exhibit of, or the proof that that really, um, that, you know, physical activity promotion itself may can, may not be the best way to um, control weight or that we shouldn't be focused on weight control only through physical activity promotion. Um, in, the, so, in, the area of, sorry, in the area of health promotion, like there's a couple of, like if you wanna talk about more things that annoy me. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever noticed that um, oftentimes weight is treated as a behavior on its own. So mm. you'll see oftentimes like, oh, if you wanna prevent heart disease, you should manage your weight. Well, like what, <laughs> like what? <laughs> that's not a behavior. It's like weight's just an outcome or mm -hmm. it's a number, but it's not a behavior. And mm -hmm. so it's really even integrated within um, like public health messaging, not just within popular media. Right. Um, and, and yeah, so like an area that um, actually some work with uh, Tanya, my PhD supervisor, we're looking at um, uh, how people respond to more uh, weight neutral messaging. So if we just kind of take that weight part out and we're promoting mm -hmm. activity for um, all sorts of other benefits, what like what impact does that have on physical mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, yeah, so your research was, your research topic is focused on weight stigma and physical activity promotion. And also, um, I guess your research is at the nexus of public health messaging and physical activity promotion. Um, so for your postdoctoral fellowship, are you doing a similar research as well? Uh, yeah, I am. Um, obviously, like a postdoc, typically you would try to gain some either new skills in different research methods or different um, Sort of knowledge areas like typically mm -hmm. that's what a postdoc would be um, part of what a postdoc mm -hmm. would be useful for. Right. Um, so I'm kind of expanding from just looking at just obesity and looking at eating disorders as well and then mm -hmm. um, yeah so my PhD research was focused on mainly on women and so I'm interested in focusing on the youth population as well um, mm -hmm. and in the school setting. So uh, if you read any of the weight stigma literature, oftentimes there'll be a section on uh, weight stigma with youth or weight, weight bias. And that's mm -hmm. typically seen at, through uh, bullying and teasing of uh, school-age children. And that starts really young. Mm -hmm. So I think, like for me, that really demonstrated that um, we need to start quite early like people's, mm -hmm. people's ideas of um, the relationship between weight and health, like start really early and um, kids, and they already know when they're very young that there's, they have this idea that fat is bad and that mm -hmm. it can really persist unless you're exposed to maybe some other type of um, thinking about that. I think that can really persist 
with into adulthood and mm-hmm. uh, lead to stigma, weight stigma in that at that time as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah I'm building definitely essentially building on what I did for my PhD and like kind of expanding on that. <laughs> right. Nice. So, you know, linking what you've just said to the pre- your previous comments, I guess um, people usually, um, you know, think there's a really uh, close connection between weight itself and behaviors. So, you know, when usually when we see, you know, overweight individuals, we say, oh, they're lazy, they must be lazy, or they eat lots of junk food and and they don't really do exercise. So all those uh, stigma around um, uh, their body weight uh, really um, could harm them in a way that, you know, people who are just commenting um, didn't intend, intend to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Like those, um, those biases and, and behaviors like judgments Mm-hmm. really like perpetuate the blame and shame mm. um, that's that's like part of weight stigma is like this is your responsibility like mm-hmm. your weight's your responsibility and you're not doing it so you're about right There's right that, that kind of yeah. contributes where, whereas like the if you look into some of the obesity research like we know that there are so many more factors that play a role in somebody's weight on top of what their behaviors are so you can't make a judgment on what yeah. somebody is doing or not doing <laughs> only yeah yeah that's so interesting because just, just one's body weight like my body weight can can link to my morality like if i am overweight i'm a bad person yeah it's oh. kind of interesting right <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think in epidemiology, your research is very, very um, important because we use body mass index all the time. And obesity is a big part of epidemiological research area. Um, and simply with body mass index, what we do is that, you know, if, some, if one's body mass index is between 18 and 25, that, then they're normal they have normal weight, therefore they're normal. If someone's 25.1, ooh, they're overweight. (laughs) uh Uh-oh, you need to lose that 0.1 BMI, right? So what what do you think about that? I mean, you know, there are research, increasingly more researchers are, you know, going against that idea. And also, you know, it's reflected in the, you know, movement in, um, in our society, there is lots of fat um, activism, etc. So, what do you think about that? But we are still using BMI, right? So, what do you think about using BMI and what could be an issue? Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And I think, um, like BMI, when it was first sort of created as a measure, was never intended as a indicator of health. Like it mm-hmm. was be used more from like a population level like they needed some kind of easy metric for um, assessing yeah like weight or or yeah I guess weight kind of um, Mm. on a population level 
And so I think like there might still be some merit to doing that, but especially as um, you know, people who work within epidemiology, it's really important for them to consider how it's not an indicator of health. It's an indicator of a ratio of weight to height. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people who fall within, like you said, that normal BMI range, like might have all sorts of other health issues. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's really not, I guess, like we really have to think of it not as a health outcome. Mm-hmm. And um maybe think a little bit more about like there might be a, another measure that might be more useful like mm-hmm. um you know like even something like self-perceived uh like weight or body size categorization like might be more informative mm-hmm. yeah 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 so and also like BMI could could be um you know BMI could be different in terms with the with childhood development so you know in really younger age groups so early years um age group between zero and five BMI doesn't really give us anything because they their growth is so different and the ratio will be different right and also um, among youth as well, like BMI, yes, we can look at the percentiles and see, you know, the top 5%, maybe they're overweight or, and the bottom 5%, they're underweight. But I don't think that gives us any accurate sense of their um, health status. So I guess, yeah. Yeah, youth. Mm-hmm. The population, yeah, there's limitations, and I would say, like, also ethnicity has, um, you know, mm. different cities. Like, there are different BMI cutoffs, but we have to remember that the cutoffs are like it's like a human that determine what we say is the cutoff, and they're pretty like hard lines. Where, like you said, if you're point one over, then you're considered in an overweight category. But mm-hmm. um, you know, where did these cutoffs? come from yeah so there's something else that we can ask ourselves yeah yeah so um if you were to advise epidemiologists who (laughs) are in obesity research what would you recommend in their future work um should we just throw bmi completely away Uh, well you mentioned that it could be it's a surrogate measure so we have to make sure that uh, make sure to deliver that message to the readers um, but and we could have some kind of alternative measures instead of BMI, more maybe more accurate measures for that that better reflect one's health. But what do you think for in our future um, obesity research? What do you think? What kind of considerations do you think we need to make? <laughs> yeah, that's a really tough um, question. Mm-hmm that kind of, to me, demonstrates the need for more of a critical, like using a more critical lens to epidemiology. Mm. And so mm-hmm. maybe being informed by um, some other research that is in um, more critical health studies or um, like a critical public health perspective, or if we take a gender lens or a, soci- um, a social determinants of health lens, like adding that and thinking about um, 
obesity, like, yeah, we talked a bit about the BMI side, but all, oftentimes I think like just diet and physical activity are the only, or like two of the only things that are considered to contribute mm-hmm. to BMI. So I think like thinking about what else has an impact on somebody's weight, like sometimes environment is considered like the, maybe students are familiar with the concept of an obeso- obesogenic environment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But I know I'm, I'm just thinking of this one. Um, it's like a map that shows all the different uh, areas that are considered in obesity research to contribute to weight. And it's just like complete chaos because there's so many things that can be playing a role. Like, um, so yeah, really, I guess like thinking critically about what you're measuring and why. And how, mm-hmm. how does this tie into some of the maybe taken for granted? It's not like there's some relationships that are really just taken for granted that this is a relationship or mm-hmm. it's like a dominant idea in the field. So um, yeah, I'd really challenge people in the epidemiology field to think about why, like where is this coming from? And um, is this the way we wanna go forward? Like. It, might there be some unintended consequences of right. um, only looking at certain things? Yeah. Yeah, unintended consequences to the population that they're researching. Well, and that's the thing is that, like, I can't imagine anybody who's doing work in a health promotion field purposefully wanting to harm anybody's health. Like, I, I understand that's not definitely mm-hmm. not the intention. Mm-hmm. Um but there could be some unintended consequences um, associated mm-hmm. with um, just continuing to uh, uh, connect health and weight really, really tightly. Right. So I guess um, critical thinking is is a really important skill to build for future epidemiologists and also current epidemiologists who's doing research around this topic. Um, so thanks for that advice. I think it's really helpful and amazing. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about your research. So there's a research paper that you provided and it's basically, um, so, and it's a um, good example of your doctoral thesis. So do you want to give us an overview of what the study was about and the main findings mm-hmm. of your research? Yeah, so I think, yeah, the one we're thinking about is um, one of the qualitative studies that I conducted that was related to the impact of weight stigma on physical activity uh, among women with obesity specifically. Mm -hmm. And um, I think an interesting aspect is that the participants who were recruited for that study had also participated in um, like a quantitative experimental study. So I actually had some measures from the previous study about internalized weight bias and weight stigma. So um, to me, it was really interesting to kind of contrast that quantitative number with some of the qualitative findings that I had in the one study. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've kind of made my way more into a qualitative, um, using mostly qualitative methods. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think they really... um, like lend themselves well to providing a different form of evidence for some of these relationships. Like, Mm -hmm. um, so like just to give an example, the weight bias internalization, um, the average was five on a scale of uh, one to seven. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, what, like, what does that mean? <laughs> um, right. I think the qualitative findings of the study really kind of maybe contextualize that a little bit more. Oh, I see. Like, participants can now explain like um, some concrete, you know, stories or examples in their life and what kind of impacts that had on them and their physical activity behavior. So I really liked that um, aspect. Yeah. And, and so there were a lot of different um different types of experiences of weight stigma in the physical activity context specifically. Um, and we talked a couple, about a couple of them already. So like those uh, really weight centric physical activity messaging, like mm. you need to earn your, you know, you need to earn your, I don't know, cookie or <laughs> whatever, right? Like you need to burn this much so that you can earn your cookie. That's like right. probably a pretty familiar type of message for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, uh, a really big lack of exercise clothing um, in different mm. sizes. So that's something as somebody who experiences more size privilege, like I never really considered that. So that was really informative. Um, and a lot of examples actually of teasing, uh, feeling looked at, people making mm. comments, um, like either other exercisers or even, um, you know, instructors or coaches, people like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so a lot of different experiences of weight stigma, and mm-hmm. um, that had a lot of different impacts on on the women. So it really made physical activity focused on changing their bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made yeah, it made people want to engage in physical activity so that they could lose weight. Mm-hmm. Um, it also made it more of a lose like. Uh, like some participants described it as like, I'm screwed no matter what, which was interesting. So it was like, okay, well, if I'm not exercising, I'm constantly getting told I should exercise because I need to exercise to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, when they were exercising, then they were experiencing all these different, um, like weight stigmatizing. Right. So it's like, okay, well, it doesn't matter what I do. It still sucks no matter what. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was like really hard to hear and really unfortunate and I think shows how important it is to incorporate more size inclusion in physical activity. Mm -hmm. There was also um, an aspect that maybe I wasn't expecting, um, but was also really useful was the idea of resistance to weight stigma. So I think, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, the Uh, like fat acceptance or Mm -hmm. um, size acceptance messaging or um, advocacy in that area is Mm -hmm. it's hard to say if it's becoming more prevalent or not (laughs) I think if you the my sense that I got from participants and my own experience as well is that if you look for it you'll find it and then you'll keep finding more and so right um yeah, if you find a couple, you know, people on Instagram or something mm-hmm. like that, that um, share those kinds of messaging messages, then you, yeah, you'll keep finding more that um, have that perspective. So right. some people had like really resisted, like, no, I am an active person. I do all these things. Like, it doesn't matter what my weight is. And mm-hmm. that had quite a positive, it seemed like it had quite a positive impact on their well-being and their relationship with physical activity. So right. Well, if we're looking at promote physical activity, then I think that's like a really, um, like important thing. <laughs> important mm-hmm. thing to know. Like, yeah. 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 So, 
I guess there's lots of positive movement going on, but you have to actively seek for that information because it's not yet a dominant idea that, you know, it's, it's, we appreciate all different body sizes and we celebrate it. And we still, the dominant um, public health discourse is that if you have higher body weight, then that's not good um, for your health. And if you have, you know, higher BMI, and if you have large body size, then you need to lose um, that body, that, that weight, or you need to, you know, get slimmer, basically. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So I think um, lots of interesting things um, that, that came up in, in your talk. Uh, but one thing that I want to, well, there are a couple of things. The first thing is that your study had both qualitative research and quantitative research. And it sounds like they were really um, complement complementary to each other. They really, so, you know, your quant portion was just giving you um, numbers that, that could be easily understood uh, to, to people. So initially when I listened to what you said, the, found, the find research finding that, you know, on average you got five from your uh, sample, on a range between zero and seven. So that means that also oh, the internalized weight bias is higher. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, yeah. Like I went through the scale and I probably, my score would have been um, like probably zero or one. So it was yeah. interesting. Um, it was quite a bit higher than I also measured like um, experiences of weight stigma, which were lower. So, mm. um, so even if people, if somebody doesn't necessarily have like very explicit weight stigmatizing experiences, they might still mm -hmm. um, like endorse and apply to themselves some of these uh, societal stereotypes, yeah. assumptions about body weight, and it really has a negative impact on self-worth. Mm -hmm. So I guess, and well, related to resistance to weight stigma. So I guess having, being empowered is also really important as well. Um, yeah, and so that that quantitative evidence it only provides you with you know not what that numbers indicate. It's oh, then it means that oh, it's higher than the average um, in this sample specifically. But your qualitative evidence is nicely providing the context of the quantitative evidence, like you said. So it feels it looks like um, you had really good data. Um, you know, combined with, with qualitative and quantitative. Yeah, they really like, I don't want to hit one against the other because that's really not, I think in, you know, in research world, we're pulling from all sorts of different um, sources of evidence. And even if I don't, um, you know, specifically do epidemiolo epidemiology research, I'm going to definitely be informed by epidemiological studies. And yeah. Um, yeah, with epidemiology or even just like more general like experimental studies, you get those large samples. Maybe your sample is more representative. Mm -hmm. um, look at like relationships and trends over time with different uh, variables. So there's there's so much that that research can tell us as well. And I, I like I really enjoy pairing that with the qualitative side, and I think it gives maybe. Um, like a whole picture to what's going on and some of the aspects that came out from the qualitative work, it, they weren't things that I measured. And so maybe mm -hmm. in the future I would measure um, some of those things. And um, 
I guess on the note of um, quantitative data, epidemiological data, um, it's really, I had, I don't know, this is maybe like off topic just a little bit, but <laughs> I had, um, <laughs> I was having a conversation with a colleague who does uh, research with indigenous communities and who are traditionally, um, you know, very good at storytelling and maybe, um, so they're like crushing the qualitative side of things. And what she was telling me was how important it was uh, for researchers to help with the quantitative data because that, you know, that was what policymakers and government needed to be able to say like, yeah, we're gonna allocate these resources towards these communities. So, mm. you know, as informative as qualitative work is, um, like you need both. Yeah, you pretty, you right. and so, uh, that was really interesting to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's a really good summary. Like you said, um, you or work is informed by some of the epidemiological findings, but my work is informed by the work that, you know, you do pro in the future, right? So um, I think that's a really good point. Um, and the second topic that I want to discuss a little bit is that it looks like weight stigma is largely gendered. And we touched on this uh, briefly uh, in our earlier conversation. Um, why do you think that's the case? Why women are more likely to experience weight bias or weight stigma or even internalized weight bias? Yeah, I guess like um, just like as a first point, um, both genders definitely experience weight stigma. Mm -hmm. um, it just, they might um, sort of navigate that in different ways. Mm. And women tend to have quite narrow, um, like beauty and size ideals. Mm. Um, so, and even in some, I thought it was really interesting in some research that was specifically looking at weight stigma experiences of men even mm -hmm. they said, oh, it's worse for girls and women. <laughs> so that was kind of really? interesting. Um, yeah, and I think like, it does come back to those gendered beauty ideals. Um, and the way that maybe women cope with weight stigma. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's like from a societal perspective, like the range that's acceptable for body size for women is a lot more narrow mm -hmm. and maybe and I, behaviors like it's it's I think there are some places where like if you have a larger body male there mm -hmm. are a lot of places within physical activity that that's seen as an advantage um or not necessarily a disadvantage I don't know um mm -hmm. that might not be the case for women right so not only the the you know socially accepted beauty ideal but also how uh, women and men cope with difficulties with their weight. Um, it's it's quite different. Um, that's interesting because in, even in children, um, you know, coping skills are gender too. Like girls tend to internalize problems, whereas boys tend to externalize um, problems. So um, that's very interesting. And I guess that's something that future researchers can really think about um, in terms of developing different strategies for different genders. Yeah, and I, I just thought of an, another thing was um, mm -hmm. a lot of the, I guess I'm thinking more from a, like a, 
not public health messaging, but more like popular messaging. Often mm-hmm. weight loss uh, ads and things like that are targeted towards women. So mm. they be like more bombarded with this idea that they need to lose weight and do something about it. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, um, you know, like women may, may more frequently be on diets and things like that. And that's like super normal. Like it's not really like nobody would blink an eye if somebody said, like a woman said, oh, I'm on, the, on a diet, I'm just eating right. salad. Whereas mm-hmm. um, like I'm not super familiar with the literature in the eating area, but there's some like uh, foods that are just seen as more feminine or more masculine, <laughs> uh, which is kind of interesting. Like, um, yeah, so very like gender stereotypical. Yeah. Yeah. And there's masculinity and femininity associated with the issue too. So I guess it's <laughs> very complicated. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's very interesting. Um, yeah. So, you know, thanks for coming in to talk. Is there anything that you want to add in terms of um, your research or the things that you do or the conversation that we had? Um, I guess more like just like a final thought for for your students. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I would just recommend, I guess, that people uh, think or reflect on their own assumptions. Mm. But more with curiosity, not judgment, right? Like, which is really hard to hard (laughs) thing to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and so to be like, oh, this is interesting that I think in this way, not like, oh my God, I can't believe like I'm a terrible person. Cause like, these are things that we learn over the course of our lives. Um, But only by reflecting on it, can we start to, and becoming aware of it, can we start to maybe shift our thinking in certain ways? Um, Yeah, like it's, it's it's a long process of unlearning in some cases. And I've found um, doing that reflecting and also just like reading all sorts of different things uh, listening to people's experiences like all those things have been really helpful for me to try to gain uh, just a different understanding of other people's experiences which are quite mm-hmm. different that's really good advice so always challenge your thought your my own thoughts and my own bias and always um, make sure that I think critically before I make the final judgment about about things and about people. Um, and actually, the assignment after this talk will be uh, getting certificate um, of CIHR sex and gender based analysis modules. So I think it aligns really well with the assignment, the talk that we had. So I really appreciate you coming in and talking to us. And good luck with your postdoc. Thanks. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, Yun.